Welcome to Mastering Your Financial Life, hosted by Judy Heft, the founder and CEO of Judith Heft and Associates Financial and Lifestyle Concierge. This year, they're celebrating 26 years in business. In every episode, Judy interviews professionals who help others successfully manage their financial lives. You can find this show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Judy is the author of two books, How to Be Smart, Successful, and Organized with Your Money, For a Better Today and Tomorrow, and her latest book, Mastering Your Financial Life Cycles, How to Successfully Manage Money in Every Decade of Life. You can read chapters of her books and catch prior episodes of this show at www.juditheft.com. Now here's the host of Mastering Your Financial Life, Judy Heft. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is our 13th show, I think lucky 13. So I'm thrilled to have Lisa Ziderman as my guest. Lisa is the managing partner at Miller Ziderman. She's a certified divorce financial analyst, also known as a CDFA, and she handles complex financial custody divorce situations for high net worth individuals. She also serves on the executive board of Savvy Ladies, which is near and dear to my heart, also, Savvy Ladies is a nonprofit that helps, that gives free advice or suggestions, maybe we don't want to say advice, uh, education to women that need to be empowered and they want more financial knowledge. So that's a wonderful organization that they do. They have mentors and they have a helpline and they really do a lot. So Lisa, thank you so much for being here and introduce yourself if I left anything out, fill us in. So thank you so much, Judy, for having me. I'm excited to be here, and I've wanted to have a great discussion with you for a long time, so this is a perfect way to do that. And thank you for mentioning Savvy Ladies, which is near to, and dear to my heart as well. Um, it helps so many women um, who struggle with financial abuse or need financial literacy, and that helpline that you mentioned really is um, so wonderful because it pairs women with one-on-one -on -one with financial professionals who do actually help and and um, offer advice. So we're, we're it's a wonderful organization. That's great, Lisa. So we're going to have a nice, interesting discussion today. So, you know, one of the things, well, what I had mentioned to you earlier before we came on was like, you know, years ago, it was always a divorce attorney. And now they've kind of, I mean, you always did family type law, but now they've changed the terminology. And I thought maybe to start off, we could just explain to our listeners what's the difference and what that encompasses. So I think when you say divorce attorney, that person may also handle family law. Family law is the broad aspect of divorce, orders of protection, custody, anything that actually has to do with family and perhaps the ancillary issues of divorce. But the difference really, I think, stems from in family law court, there's actually courts that are family courts. Those courts are not actually authorized to provide divorces. And so anyone who wants a divorce would have to go to the Supreme Court and when I say the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court in your state, and you would get your divorce in Supreme Court. And of course, you could handle there. The court would have the jurisdiction to handle child support, um, alimony, equitable distribution of assets, as well as orders of protection and all of the issues. Family court is more limited in what it can handle. And I think that attorneys use them interchangeably quite a bit, frankly. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. That's that's helpful information. So one of the things I was thinking about, so if you're the female breadwinner 
what are some of the things you should be thinking about, you know, when you're contemplating divorce? Because it's a sticky situation. And, you know, maybe you can give our reader some tips. And I wish I had known you way back then. And maybe I would have gotten some of these tips and been in a better situation when I walked away. So look, being the female breadwinner gives you the same responsibilities and obligations under the law as if your husband was the breadwinner. And I think you have to really think about that um, because you're, you could be responsible for alimony, spousal support, child support. Your custody may be different than if you were the stay-at-home mom. Um, you Equitable distribution may be different too and may be um, slanted towards you So as the female breadwinner. So there's a lot of things financial to speak about. And of course, custody, which is so important just to a lot of our clients um, if they have children, who was the person who was the primary caregiver. So a lot of the time, for example, when we have the female breadwinner, custody may end up being a 50-50 situation, meaning 50% of the time with the male um, stay-at-home counterpart or female stay-at-home counterpart for that matter. Um, and you may end up only having 50% of the time. Why? Because the other person may have been the primary breadwinner. And I'm sorry, the primary caretaker for the children. And so as the primary caretaker for the children, that person may have some custodial rights that maybe would have been switched around a bit. Um, so we have that issue. We also have the fact that you, if you are the primary breadwinner in New York, and if your spouse is not earning, then you may be responsible for spousal support for a period of time. And that's a lot, that's very hard for a lot of women to frankly swallow. Um, the fact that um, they may be still taking care of the children and the home and going out to work full time and earning most of the money. And now they have to divide their time with their children and they have to pay spousal support. And now they have to pay child support all because they were thinking that they were, you know, trying to help their, their spouse in this case, maybe the male spouse um, get their feet on the ground or um, give them some breathing space or let them stay home with the kids for a while because that seemed like a good idea at the time, but it was only for a certain amount of time. And then that spouse, that male spouse never went back to work. And one year led to another, and I see this a lot. And, um, and now you're in the situation of a divorce and you, the, the bills are mounting in terms of what you're going to be paying. So I think that as the female breadwinner, you need to keep in mind that you, everybody should be working. I would say that's first and foremost. Everybody should be contributing. Everybody should be um, caring for the children. And um, you don't want to set up a situation where you're going to be paying child support and spousal support and, um, and not seeing your kids half the time if, you can, if, if that's not something that you want. Um, so I, I think you really have to be very conscious of the situation that you're setting up for yourself. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that's great. And I think there's probably a lot of uh, anger and animosity that comes with that. And that can make the divorce even more stressful because you, you know, you think and whether it's a male or a female, I think you think, you know what, I worked hard all these years. And what did that person do? They were home doing nothing with the kids, quote unquote, doing nothing. You know, of course, they were doing a lot. But, you know, the financial burden was on you. And so you feel aggravated and stressed and you don't want to be supporting that person anymore. It's enough already. And that's where, when I said it also could be a difference in terms of equitable distribution. So remember in New York, equitable distribution does not mean equal. Oh. And so if you were the parent 
who was literally taking care of the kids, organizing their activities, going to all the teacher parent teacher conferences, taking the kids to the doctor's appointment, working full time, um, you know, organizing the nanny, for, for example. OK. And you had your spouse who was staying home. Maybe there isn't an equal division of the assets. Maybe. And it's certainly something to inquire about, and it may be something to put forth in terms of settlement and mediation or even litigation, because the, the assets don't need to be divided equally necessarily. And that might be a place to think about gaining an advantage, because you may be very much on the hook for the spouse's support and the child's support, but maybe you can recover it um, since money is fungible anyway in some equitable distribution. Yeah, that's interesting, because I think when we hear the... I know when I hear the term equitable distribution, it sounds to me it's supposed to be equal. And that was a good explanation that it's not necessarily equal financially. It's different. Exactly. And it, and it's based upon co- contribution, to your point. So, look, if your spouse was really staying home and taking care of the children and doing all the things that I just mentioned that involves taking care of the children, organizing their play dates and, and taking them to the doctor and making it easier for you to excel mm-hmm in your workplace, okay, and in your career, then likely it is going to be a 50-50. But if instead your spouse was, you know, sitting in front of the television, not taking care of the children, utilizing the services of the nanny that you were paying for, um, having a housekeeper, et cetera, maybe then we need to relook at what equitable distribution really means. Oh, that's a great example, too. That makes a lot of sense to me. Really clears it up. So what about, you know, financial abuse? Because I think when it's, you know, maybe inequitable and one person's doing more than the other, I've seen clients come to us where they're contemplating divorce. And I've even seen it with widows, too, where they have no idea where to begin. They don't know where any of the accounts are. They don't know user IDs and passwords. You know, they've been the non-money partner. The other partner's been paying all the bills and handling all the investments. And, you know, they never really were um, informed. Maybe it was their own fault. They, you know, they let that other person do all of that. And they didn't know. You know, I was working with a client who... I was helping her with some coaching and she was just, you know, she kept asking, you know, she grew up in her family. Let me backtrack where her mother did everything for her. Her mother opened her account. She got her paycheck when she was in high school and college and gave it to her mother who deposited it. And then she married this man and it was a similar situation. And she kept asking, teach me, show me. And he didn't. And then they ended up getting divorced and here she was completely in the dark. So I think that's a little bit of financial abuse right there. So I think that we see a lot of financial abuse, even with people with high net worth, um, that where they are not, to your point, given the passwords, the there's no joint accounts. Mm. They are not, they have no access. They literally are on, quote, an allowance. Right. Um, they are asking for money all the time. They are not allowed to see the bank statements. The bank statements sometimes go to the spouse's office or business. They have no idea Um, There's a credit limit on their credit card, which may be way too low. And they are in a situation where now they're financially abused. They can't get out. They may be also physically or emotionally abused because they have no choices. And it's a very um, sad situation. And I think for women, particularly, this happens quite a bit. And I've seen women, by the way, who are the working spouse who literally will hand over their paycheck because they are so financially abused. And the spouse who is staying at home that we just spoke about will be the spouse who actually is 
um, managing the money, but not allowing the working spouse to have access without permission. So the passwords are, you know, changed. The, um, the there's no statements that they can see. They may be given a spreadsheet if they're lucky. They can't just take out money. They it is it is abusive. And there's a few shows actually on television now. Um, one which is very compelling, um, and I don't know if you've seen it, Judy, but it's called Made, and mm. it is it's such a sad story, um, and it shows the physical abuse that results from the um, from the financial abuse, and how it all perpetuates the other. Right, one perpetuates the other, and how you have to get out of that situation, and you need to have a career, and you need to get yourself in a place that you can earn your own money, have your own bank account. And be able to do that. And sometimes financial abuse means that somebody won't let you do that. Mm. They won't give you the car, literally, so that you could go to work to get your job, you know, to, to have a job. They won't help you pay for childcare so that you can leave your child for the day in daycare or with a sitter so that you can go to work. You're trapped. And that's what financial abuse is. So what happens when somebody comes to you and they want a divorce, but... They have to fill out their statement of net worth, financial affidavit, and then they have no idea where to begin. They don't know what they're spending anything on. How do, what happens there? So, you know, we tell them to keep bills to the extent that they can for a month or two, that if they can, okay? I mean, sometimes you can't because you need orders of protection very quickly or there's other abuse going on and we just have to get into court fast. But if they can, then we tell them to do that. And where they don't know, since they're swearing to a statement of net worth, they put TBD, to be determined because it's just not known. And they fill it out to the best of their knowledge. Um, sometimes they'll know the groceries, their utilities. Um, you know, they'll have some information. Um, maybe there's some tax returns that are in the house. If somebody was, you know, if, if even the financial abuser sometimes overlooks paperwork that might be around, um, they make sure that they get hold of that paperwork. Um, and, you know, they should start collecting. I once had a client who um, used to collect things from the garbage. And wow. so the spouse would literally throw things away and she would collect the bits and papers from the garbage. And that is how we found, believe it or not, the many millions of dollars that were being hidden. Well, that's devastating. It is. It's very, I mean, money in foreign countries, money in different places, right? All of those things. But it was literally through the garbage. Let's imagine that you have to be reduced to that. That's kind of, that's sad and demeaning. It's just, it's heartbreaking to see people. It is, that. You, it is, but you have to be resourceful also, right? You, right? you need to know that you can't let yourself get into that situation. And then there's organizations look like savvy ladies, right? That you right. can go to, to try to get that kind of advice. Well, that's really helpful. So we're going to take a little break here, Lisa, and then we'll come back and we'll talk some more. So thank Sounds you. Good. Valuable. Hey there. I just want to tell you a little bit about my new book that just came out called Mastering Your Financial Life Cycles. And here it is. It's how to successfully manage your money in every decade of life. I co-authored this with my CFO, Liz Levy. And together we created this manual that's going to help you through every stage of life. We talk about having a baby. We talk about young adulthood, pre-retirement, what to do when you're at that age of retirement, if you're contemplating divorce, do you need an estate plan? We cover all of these, each subject in a different chapter. And I really think that you're going to find this so helpful because at the end of every chapter, they have checklists that you can look at and you can use and they can be a guide for you. 
So this is a wonderful manual that we've created. It's available on Amazon. You can also find it on our website at judithhepp.com slash book. And we're here for you. If you need anything, reach out. I hope you enjoy the book. Here's another picture of it, just so you know what's going on. Here it is. And I'm really proud of it. It's my second book. And I'd love to have you uh, read it and give me your feedback. Judy Heft, judithheft.com, financial and lifestyle concierge, celebrating 26 years in business. And over the years, I've learned so much. And what I've been trying to do is impart a little bit of this knowledge to you so I can help all of you become as financially organized as I am. And we're back. Thank you. Here we are with Lisa. So, you know, there's some other things that we, you know, there's just so much to talk about on this subject. We could talk for hours and hours and hours and still have more left to talk about. So explain a little bit, what is executive compensation and why is that so important in a divorce proceeding? What does that really mean? So more frequently, people are being paid a base salary and then they are being actually granted stock. So equity, essentially. So, for example, if you work for a financial institution or a tech company or many other startup type of companies, you may get what's called restricted stock units or stock options. Um, we call that executive compensation. And the difficulty in dealing with that in a divorce is when was that actually earned? And so there are formulas that are used in the world of matrimonial law called, one is called the De Jesus formula. And it talks about, it's, it's really a time formula. And it talks about when it's granted and then when you're actually earning it. So are you earning it for the future incentively? And if you are, then it's not necessarily a um, distribution of what was granted. In other words, let's just say it was 50-50. Um, a 50-50 type of situation in terms of equitable distribution, you might not get 50% because it was if it was granted and then somebody has to work for the next three years for it to vest, mm -hmm. which is the key key word, right? And it and they have to be there and they have to put in time and effort. And now you have a divorce action that started. You may not be entitled to 50% of that. And so it's very important. More and more companies are giving this type of golden parachute, I would say, in some ways, right? Um, you know, it, it's sort of that golden parachute. It ties you. It's really, I guess it's, it's golden handcuffs is, is the right word, not golden parachute, but golden handcuffs where you're, they want you to stay with the company. And so the way to incentivize you to stay with that company is to give you the stock and make it vest over three or four or five years. And then you're not going to necessarily leave because you've already, you know that there's something out there for you. That's very important. Stock options also, um, another form, deferred compensation, another form. And there are various different um, schemes, essentially, that each company may have, and that is executive compensation. So it's in addition to a bonus, it's in addition to a base salary, and it is a way for companies also to um, maximize the, um, the essentially keeping people and paying them out over time. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So it has to do with the future earnings. It's future earnings. And I never thought of that. So, so this is the key because it's not always future earnings. So this is the key and this has to be sorted out. Is it future earnings or is it a bonus that was paid for past performance? That is the question that has to be asked. 
If it was a bonus that was paid for past and for performance, in other words, I get the stock and part of my contract is that at the end of the year or in March or April of the following year, I get a bonus and it consists of restricted stock units. And it's because I did really great work for the prior year, then that may be subject to equitable distribution in full. But if instead it's my incentive plan to stay with the company using that really keyword incentive, then you're, you're in that time formula of de Jesus. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. So it's a lot to really think about. And you need a good attorney like you that knows about these things. I mean, I certainly didn't know about any of these things before. So thank you so much. This is so helpful, Lisa. And one thing, Judy, I'm going to say is a lot of information is in the, um, there's documentation that most of these companies will provide. There are award letters or grant documents or plans that the company has. And so as an attorney, you will want to look at those documents because the wording and the language is very specific usually as to what the, the um, concept was. And that's what you're going to use to argue your, your um, client's case, essentially, whether it's incentive or past performance. So you have to be like a little bit of an excavator and dig deep and find out all these things for your clients. That's great yes. work that you do, Lisa. Thank you. So do you only work with women or do you work with men too? No, we work with men. We work with women. Um, we um, probably about 50% of our practice is male slash female. So um, we work with both. We work with the moneyed spouse. We work with the non-moneyed spouse. Um, and, um, you know, we are able to see all sides of it, frankly, because there's always different facts in each case. And each case is different than the next. Um, there is no cookie cutter cases here. Um, and we are very fact intensive and we make sure that we get the discovery, et cetera, that you need to be able to actually work through the case. That's great. So tell us a little bit about your firm and how we can find you. Okay. So my firm is located in Manhattan and in Westchester County. We're also actually branching out to Long Island. Congratulations. Um, so thank, yeah. So we, we, we are very excited about that. And so we are taking Long Island cases as well, um, Nassau and Suffolk. And we also handle Rockland and Putnam and Dutchess and um, Brooklyn. So um, we, we really, we pride ourselves on being prepared and as someone who's prepared, we feel we can walk into any courtroom and be prepared and really handle a case. And we usually work as a team. So myself and another partner or an associate, and then we have paralegals. And um, we, you know, we're very meticulous and very um, fact intensive. And we usually do a consultation um, at, at the beginning. Um, we can be found at lisaziderman.com. Um, and so someone can do that or they can email me at lz at mzw dash law.com or they can call at 914-455-1000. That's great. And they can find you at on LinkedIn, I'm sure. Yes. I, I have a very heavy presence on LinkedIn. Um, we um, post articles and interesting information um, on my LinkedIn probably every other day. Um, I have a blog in psychology today, um, as you might be aware, Judy. And I also um, have written for the New York Law Journal quite a bit. So yes, we do a lot of writing. That's great, Lisa. So thank you so much for being my guest. I really enjoyed talking to you today. And I know we'll have future conversations together too. I always learn something when I talk to you. So thank you again. Well, it was a pleasure. And these were great subjects. So I appreciate the discussion and um, love doing it. Yes. And I'm sure our listeners were learning something too. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. 
You've been listening to Mastering Your Financial Life, hosted by Judy Heft. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing this show with others. You can read chapters of Judy's books and catch prior episodes of Mastering Your Financial Life at www.judithheft.com. 